Hey there, my name is John Whitaker, and I want to welcome you to another episode of the Bible in Life podcast. Over the last 11 weeks, we have been exploring this theme of living a Jesus-centered life. And we've covered really a ton of ground about what that might mean. We've looked at specific texts and given some suggestions for how we can put that into practice. And today I want to wrap up that whole little series uh, with uh, a topic that I just feel like is just so critical for us to really grasp and understand the full scope of in this context of living a Jesus-centered life. And to set that up, I just want to reflect back on my first few years of following Jesus. I became a Jesus follower as a teenager, my sophomore year of high school. I I had, over the three years prior to my sophomore year, I had been learning a lot about the gospel and about Jesus. It had really been the first time in my life I had heard the gospel during my junior high years. And so as a sophomore in high school, uh, I came to this moment where, no, I really decided I wanted to follow Jesus. It was really important to me. And so I put my faith in Jesus. I was baptized. Uh, and obviously that was a kind of a growing thing over several years. But I was baptized uh, my sophomore year, September of that year, 1984. <laughs> that tells you a little bit about how old I am. Um, <clears throat> and I was I was serious about my faith right from the get-go, and it just was a byproduct of a handful of factors. So I took it very seriously. Um, unfortunately, what that seriousness meant for me was uh, an awful lot of striving and a lot of trying and a lot of feeling like a failure and a lot of why can't I do better and beating myself up when I messed up and uh, a lot of just kind of the performance trap, right? And just trying to do more and trying to be more. And uh, and when I was doing good, man, I felt good about myself and I compared myself with others and I felt better about myself and worse about them. And so then the self-righteousness and pride crept in. And, and then when I wasn't doing so well, oh, I was down on myself and I beat myself up with negative self-talk and it was hard for me to pray. And I, man, I just wrestled with that for the first uh I don't know, three, four, maybe five years of my spiritual life. And it slowly got better as I learned more and I understood more, but it didn't fully go away until there was this moment. My wife and I had just gotten married. So at this point, I'm 20 years old. And we were house sitting for one of my Bible college professors. And on the bookshelf uh, at his house was a little tiny book entitled, Being Good Enough is Not Good Enough. And that title just captured me right from the get-go because that had been my struggle for the first four or five years of my spiritual life. I was trying to be good enough. I was trying to please God. I was trying to serve Him. I was trying to be obedient. I was trying to grow in prayer. I was trying, I was trying to do all this stuff. I was trying to be good enough. So I saw that title and it just called to me. So I pulled this little tiny book off the bookshelf and I started reading. I ended up, it wasn't a big book, and I ended up reading the entire book that night. And for the first time in my life, somebody laid bare the the teaching of grace in a way that made sense to me and was comprehensive to me and began to unravel some of the knots in my heart with regard to striving and trying and failing and all of that. And 
that was the beginning of my understanding of the significance of God's grace. And over the course of the next handful of years, I just kept diving into that and exploring that. In grad school, I actually took a class by the very person who wrote that book called Doctrine of Grace. And it was obviously much more comprehensive and, and detailed than that little book was. And that was helpful to me. And I just continued to grow and explore, even as a young Bible college professor, continued to just read and research and figure this thing out called grace. And uh, we need to make sure we hear everything we've said about living a Jesus-centered life in the context of the grace of God. Because God's grace is not just something that we need to get our sins forgiven at the get-go. God's grace is the entire environment, the entire atmosphere in which we live out our life with Jesus and for Jesus. And so on this final episode of Living a Jesus-Centered Life, I just want to I just want to look at a handful of ideas and passages related to living a Jesus-centered life in the context of grace. So the first one is this, that um, grace is the thing that opens the door to living a Jesus-centered life. Like it's only possible because of the grace of God and the mercy of Jesus. It, It opens the door and grants us the opportunity and the possibility to live a life connected to Jesus. And One text that speaks to that is a well-known text out of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2 verse 4 and following says this. It's just described how all of us, doesn't matter our background or not, doesn't matter where we've had a religious background or an irreligious background, doesn't matter where we've come from, we're all dead in our trespasses and sins. Paul has said. And then he says this, Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 and 5, he says, but God, In that context where we are dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy. Notice that. Not a little bit of mercy. uh, Not, you know, having a short supply of mercy or having a decent amount of mercy. No, he's rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, even when we were dead in our trespasses, like even in this moment where we, we weren't good enough, we didn't measure up, um, but God, because of his great love for us, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. Like that's what gave us the possibility. That's what awakened our soul to, to be united with Jesus. And that's what gave us this new life so that we could live it out with God's rich mercy, great love, his amazing grace by which we have been saved. And so grace opens the door to a Jesus-centered life. Second uh, idea related to that is that <clears throat> grace provides the drive for a Jesus-centered life. Like Grace, God's mercy, God's love, God's grace provides the motivation, the drive, the catalyst, really, to live for Jesus and with Jesus. Just listen to these words. This is Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, another well-known passage. It's Paul's testimony, but it's Paul's testimony for our benefit. We're, we're, we're to imitate him in this regard. And so Paul says this, Galatians 2, 20, I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, right? This is the essence of the Jesus-centered life. Christ living in me. 
of me dying to myself, me no longer living, Christ living in me. But then keep listening. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's that love of Jesus, that self-sacrifice of Jesus, that self-giving love that Jesus showed us on the cross that provides the catalyst, the motive, the the fuel, the drive for us to live for him, uh, to live by faith in him, to die to ourselves, to have to, to unite ourselves with him so that he can form his life within us. And so grace provides not only the opportunity, it actually provides the ability, the motivating, really the motivating factor, the, the drive for Jesus-centered living. In fact, the Apostle Paul goes into great detail uh, on this in Romans chapter 6, where he, he raises the question after he's laid out how God's grace has forgiven us and justified us and made us his people. In Romans 6, he raises the question, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? Hey, if we've if grace forgave all our sins and opened the door to us to, to live a Jesus-centered life, why not keep sinning so that God can keep giving us more and more grace? That's the question of Romans chapter 6. And for the rest of the chapter, Paul explains, no, that's not the way grace works. Grace actually lives liberates you from the power of sin, sets you free. And so now that you're under grace, he says, you you don't no longer need to, to do wrong. It, it's not even something you want to do. Like you've been so changed and transformed by, by God's grace that you're a different kind of person. And so he says, so rearrange your life. This is in the middle of chapter six. Rearrange your life to live out this new person that you are, that you've been made by God's grace. And don't present yourself to unrighteousness and to sin anymore to do its bidding. Present yourself to God and to righteousness to do his bidding. And all of that, all of that is motivated by, driven by what God and his grace has done for us in Christ and setting us free and all that. So grace provides the drive for living a Jesus-centered life. Third, another idea, grace provides the power for it. Not only does it move us to want to do it, grace gives us the ability to do it. That um, God's grace opens the door, forgives our sins, welcomes us in, makes us alive, moves our heart so we want to please God. And then grace actually enables us to begin to do the things that God wants us to do. Listen to these words from Titus chapter 2. Verses 11 through 14, it says this, For the grace of God has appeared, like with the coming of Jesus and the pouring out of his Spirit, we've entered into a whole new stage in the way God is working with people. And Paul captures that whole stage as the grace of God. It's now appeared on the scene. So the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all people, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly and righteously and in a godly manner in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, eager for good deeds. Like grace teaches us this. Grace empowers this. Grace uh, draws us towards this. Like grace grants the power. And obviously one of the greatest gifts of God's grace is his spirit uh, who comes to live with us. Like God himself now with us by his spirit, enabling us, giving us the strength uh, 
and the power to say no to ungodliness and unrighteousness and to do what's right. That's Paul's point in Galatians chapter 5, where if you walk by the Spirit, you will by no means carry out the desire of the flesh. So God, in his grace, comes to live with us by his Spirit, giving us the power to live a Jesus-centered life. And and then a fourth idea here that is just so, so important is grace makes it safe to be a work in progress. As we're seeking to live a Jesus-centered life and as we're walking by the Spirit and as we're in love for him, trying to, to do the things that please him, right? We're not going to always get it right. We're going to make mistakes. We're still going to sin, we're still going to uncover a new layer where it's like, oh man, I, how, how did I miss that? I've walked with Jesus for so long and it's like a new layer is peeled back and we realize there's a new area of growth needed, new virtue required here. Oh, here's an area that needs the gospel and the love of Jesus applied to it in order to be healed, right? And it just keeps peeling it back and peeling it back and we're a work in progress. And this was where I really struggled in my early years of following Jesus. I didn't know it was safe to be a work in progress. I, I just wanted to be all done and all fixed and all better and a you know, a mature, holy, righteous person right from the get-go. And when I was doing good, man, I thought I was super good. And when I was doing bad, I beat myself up, right? But grace makes it safe to be a work in progress. It's not like in again, out again. We're not like in grace. Oh, we messed up. We're out of grace. Oh, we're in a good relationship with God. Oops, I screwed up. And now like an angry dad, he's going to get mad at me and he's going to backhand me or anything like that. It's not like that. Um, it's safe and secure in the love of God. That's the nature of grace. Listen uh, to these words from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, Paul's just explained how God has forgiven us in Christ and how it's not by virtue of our performance, but it's by virtue simply of belief. Believing in Jesus, um, we now have been justified by faith, right? Therefore, having been justified, and justified means um, put into a right relationship with God, getting a favorable verdict. So in terms of God's law, yes, we're lawbreakers, but God grants us by his grace a favorable verdict, puts us in a right relationship with him, and that happens by virtue of faith, by trusting him. Not by our perfect performance. And so, therefore, having been justified by faith, Paul says, notice this, we have peace with God. Not someday we will have. Not if we do enough, then we will have. Not we should have, but we really don't because we still screw up and mess up. No, we have, as a statement of a fact, we are now at peace with God. We're in this relationship that's, that's characterized by shalom by harmony, by wholeness, by blessedness and peace, simply by trusting him and what he's done in Jesus, we are in this good, right relationship with God. And we it's a relationship marked by peace. And, we're, and that, that comes through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith, catch this, into this grace in which we stand. That we stand in grace, like... Like it's a, a room that's just full 
of grace. And grace is this favorable disposition that always wants to do good. Grace is this deep-seated kindness motivated by generous love that wants to, to, to pour out favor and goodness on. And this room that we're standing in, in the very house of God, is this room full of grace. And so we live and stand and breathe and move in what I like to think of as like the sphere of grace, the circle of grace all around us is the loving, merciful, great grace of God. Um, and that's just so important for us to remember that grace is the trait of a person, right? Sometimes we talk about the doctrine of grace, the teaching of grace, but fundamentally grace is the trait of a person and God is an incredibly gracious person. And so when we say we stand in grace, what we're standing is is the kindness and the favor and the goodness of God in relationship to us. That's just who he is. In fact, when God first uh, really fully introduced himself to Moses, Exodus chapter 34. Moses wanted to see God. And God's like, you can't do that. No one can see me and live. But Moses really wanted to see God. And so God has Moses stand here in the right in the crack of this rock, and he says, "I'm going to pass by. Cover your eyes as I pass by, and as I go by, then you can, uh, you can see, uh, you can see me on the way by, All right?" And when he does that, God describes Himself to Moses. What does He say? There's a lot of things God could say because God is such a multifaceted person. What does He say? Well, here's how God describes Himself to Moses: Exodus 34, verse six, "The Lord." The Lord, a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, who keeps his faithfulness for thousands, who forgives wrongdoing and transgression and sin. This is how God describes himself. In fact, that verse, that self-description of God, becomes the most quoted verse of the Bible in the Bible. That's how central it is. And it shaped the entire understanding of God all throughout uh, the prophets and the Psalms and the books of the Old Testament, clear into the New Testament, that God, God is a God that is merciful and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's who God is. He is an incredibly gracious person. And in fact, when Jesus comes upon the scene, the Apostle John, at the beginning of his gospel, writes, says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus comes upon the scene, God among us. And what John says is this, is of his fullness, we have all received even grace upon grace. Catch that? Even grace upon grace. This is who God is. This is who Jesus is. And so as we, as we seek to rearrange our life to live a Jesus-centered life. This Jesus-centered life is made possible by grace. It's empowered by grace. It's motivated by grace. It is, um, it's conducted in a realm of grace where God is on our side and he loves us devotedly. Grace upon grace. And so, um, don't fall victim to what I fell victim to, this idea of striving and proving and paying God back and trying to be good enough. Uh, know that what you have entered into is really a relationship that is driven by and marked by and, uh, God's superabundant graciousness. And that relationship becomes a transforming friendship 
And as you walk with God, he changes us bit by bit, little by little, um, sometimes in dramatic moments, sometimes step by step incrementally, as we just simply arrange our life to be with him. And that's the heart of a Jesus-centered life, is being with him and arranging our life to that end. And all of that is enabled by the good grace of God. And so I pray that you will, you will arrange your life to live a Jesus-centered life, but you'll know you're doing it as you stand in grace and have peace with God. May it be so for you, and may it be so for me as well. All right, thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Bible in Life. And if you have not had a chance to check out the Study Hub and you want to dig deeper into the Bible, my other podcast, The Listener's Commentary, I have released a, a kind of a companion thing to go along with it, where if you want more than the audio, you want some premium content of articles and special studies and background information and pictures and charts and all of that, I'm calling it The Listener's Commentary Study Hub, uh, you can check that out. It is a great way for you to just dig deeper into the Bible, gain some resources and skills and tools to help you study the Bible more fully and completely so that you can learn it, you can live it out in your life, and you can share it with other people as well. So that's the Listener's Commentary Study Hub. I would encourage you to check that out if you're eager to study the Bible for yourself. All right, I hope you have a wonderful week in Christ. May God bless you as you walk with Him. May He fill you with His grace as you seek him and seek his face. God bless you. I look forward to talking to you again next week.